All right, let's open our Bibles now to 1 John chapter 5. And our study this evening is once again in the first five verses of this chapter. And these are verses just really packed with meaning. In fact, this this whole fifth chapter is just a great chapter for us to study. As you know, I've tried to be very detailed in our study. I've tried to explain to you some of the nuances of the way that John... um, writes this material, and sometimes it gets a little bit hard to follow, and you're going to have to pay a little bit of attention tonight. What I have to say is not really hard. It just might be a little bit difficult to put all the, connect all the dots to get exactly what I'm trying to say to you, but we learn about these nuances of the way that John says different things here, and it turns out that all these little twists and turns that he takes boil down to some just very basic information just things that Christians really need to know and Christians that Christians should know and really cannot escape knowing and still being Christians. Now, the main points that John deals with are faith and obedience and love, and those are fundamental ideas that are so closely connected that it's impossible to separate them. So you can't have a, a person who says, well, I have, I'll have faith and then I'll work on the love part a little bit later, and I'll add uh, obedience to commands. That, that, that I can put on a little bit later. Or somebody who says, well, I, I, have, um, uh, I, I have obedience, but I don't really have that much faith, and I'm not working on faith, I'm not working on love. And then you can't have somebody that says, I'm a real loving and caring person, but I really don't need to be born again. I don't really need to obey Christ's commandments. None of those positions work. All three of these have to go together. They have to be considered together, even though none of the three are things that we as Christians do perfectly. But they do have to be in evidence in all Christians' lives, or we're not really Christians. So John doesn't present to us here options for Christianity. He's dealing with people that were failing in some of these areas. Their faith was being tested. Their commitment to the Lord was being tested. And so he teaches them how to deal with these issues in order to regain their assurance to know that they really are children of God. Now, if you look in the fifth chapter, beginning at verse number one, he says, "...whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments." For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? I want to just briefly mention to you the introduction of the message last week. We were discussing the meaning of this first phrase, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And there's a very important theological point that's made in that statement. It's a secondary point. It's not the one that John is addressing particularly. And the reason that he doesn't is because it is assumed he believes that the reader will already know what he's talking about without any further explanation. It's the point that believing is the result of the new birth rather than, uh, the, cause, uh, rather than the cause of it. And so the scriptures describe regeneration as, as being a birth, and just as a baby cannot give physical birth to itself, neither does a Christian give spiritual birth to himself. 
the, the spiritual birth is something that happens without our impulse, in, 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 uh, inputs, what I want to say. And, and the inevitable result of the new birth is repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And the salient point in all of that is regeneration is God's work alone. And the reason that John expected that his readers would understand this without further explanation is because they would see this in the original languages and they would see the verb tenses and it make the point very clearly. Our English is just fine as we read it here, especially when we compare it with other scriptures. But if we were to translate this according to the original tense of the verbs and try to bring out the meaning, as some translations do a little bit more, it actually says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God or already is born of God. And that interpretation, as I mentioned last week, is not disputed by any Greek scholars that I know of. But you might find some people like, for instance, Peter Ruckman, who is uh, by no means a scholar, but he believes that the English version actually corrects the Greek, which is tantamount to divine inspiration of the translators. And that's something that the translators didn't, didn't even believe themselves. They didn't claim that, and it's actually a heretical position. So that was a secondary point that uh, John is making in this scripture. And, but the main point is where we really want to spend our time this evening and, and go on with this, and that is the fellowship of believers. That's the main point that we made last week. And John makes the point here that there is a common bond between those that are born of God. And he's not speaking about this common bond that we all have because we're in the human race. And he's not speaking of our immediate families, the kind of bond that we have there. But he's talking about the spiritual family, the divine family, the family of God. And he says that everybody that is born into the family of God uh, has the same experience of faith in Jesus Christ. And that common faith causes them to love everyone else that has that similar experience. And so that explains the ability that we have to love people that are different from us, those that are different in race or ethnicity or socially they're different from us. We are able to overcome the natural barriers, the things that divide us because of the supernatural birth that we have in Christ. So our new birth in Christ brings us into this new family and creates a brotherhood between Christians. And if you're not conscious of that brotherhood, or if you're at the place where you can't fellowship with other believers and you feel that there's not really a bond there and you don't love other Christians, then the, the truth of the matter here very simply is that it's impossible that you actually are a Christian. And the reason for that is because that type of love is implanted in the believer in the new birth. I mean, it's experienced by all believers, I mean, it's, it's not perfect in us, just like our faith is not always perfect. It's weak, but it has to be present with us. It has to be there, and it can be cultivated to improvement so that we're more like Christ, just like our faith can improve as we experience more things in our Christian life. Now, this evening, I want to move on a little bit further in discussion to uh, verses 2 and 3, where we find the following of believers. John says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So how do we show that we are following Christ? Well, we could say a lot of things. We can make various claims and insist that we are following him. But how is it that we really show it? Well, we do that by keeping commandments. See, the Christian life is 
about keeping commandments. And that's the proof that we have here that we are redeemed and we are actually following Christ. I mean, how else would you ever determine that a person is actually a Christian? I mean, even if we say this, well, that person must be a Christian because you can see the love that they have for other believers. And when you say that, all that you're really saying is here is a person who has obeyed the commandment of Christ that we are to love our brothers. So discipleship, following Jesus, personally knowing him, is in the realm of keeping commandments. And there are many people that miss that truth and they really don't understand that loving God and the knowledge of God and obeying God are really saying the same thing in just different ways. Now, at least we know that John and and Jesus agree with this. Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And then John wrote in the second chapter, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. And so we see that knowing God, loving God, and obeying God are so closely related that when you say one, you imply the others. All three of those concepts, knowing, loving, and obeying, are results of the new birth. Now, that's not the way that we become born again, because then that would be like a baby saying, you know what I think I'll do? I think I'll be born. I'll go find me a woman, and I'll go get myself into her womb, and then I'll be born. Well, we know that doesn't happen. And similarly, keeping commandments is not going to cause us to be born again. Those are the proofs that we are saved or we have been born of God. Now, there is a, a very marked difference between believers and unbelievers when it comes to obeying commandments. And we notice again that in verses 2 and 3 of our text that uh, John puts obedience and love into the same context. They coexist. They are codependent. So you can't split these apart and have really any semblance of true Christianity. And we notice the statement that John makes in the end of verse number 3. He says, and his commandments are not grievous. And that is the same as saying that his commandments are not a heavy weight or his commandments are not burdensome. So that's the first observation that I want to make about following Christ, and that is that following him is not a burden. And I didn't say that it's, that it's easy, and it's not, not saying that following is a snap. Uh, it's not easy. And if it was, then I would never have to preach another sermon about sin. I'd never have to preach another sermon about encouragement. In fact, I wouldn't even be preaching the sermon tonight because what you would do all the time is everything that you're supposed to do, and you'd keep every commandment. In the 10th chapter of Matthew that we've been studying, uh, that should be fully sufficient to show us that following Christ is not easy. Following him can be very difficult. In fact, it might even cost your life as we've looked in the scriptures in Matthew 10. But we also know that following him is not a burden. We follow Christ because the new birth has given us that desire to follow him. So we're just willing to get tooth and toenail into this fight because we want to be in the middle of that fight. We want to be in this fight like a soldier who's been in training. We want to get into the middle of the fight against sin. And like a soldier swears his allegiance to his country and gets all the training, he just itches to get into the fight. I remember when my dad used to tell me about World War II and and how that uh, when the United States was attacked by... uh, 
the Japanese at Pearl Harbor in World War II that America was just itching to get into the war. There was itching to be a response. And so it wasn't hard to get a, to raise an army and a navy and get people to fight for our country. Same thing happened at 9-11. Uh, when, when all of that happened, and you remember President Bush standing out there and talking to the firefighters and everybody, the response teams and all of that, and people were just itching to have some kind of response. Let's just go get those guys and do something to them. That's how a Christian responds in spiritual battle. When you're born again, you want to get into that conflict, and you're happy to fight that battle in order to, come, in order to overcome the hindrances of, of serving God. You just want to overcome that. So it's not a burden for you to follow Christ's commandments. But the world doesn't see it that way. A non-Christian looks at the commands of Christ, and he says, well, this is not for me. I don't want to deal with that. This is just too hard. Give me the easy path. And, of course, it is easier to give in uh, to the desires of the flesh than it is to fight against them. And so that person has no desire at all to fight against sin and live by God's commandments. But we also need to note in this that it is possible for a Christian to become burdened with Christ's commandments. I mean, there are some who would like to take away the, the spirit of the law and invent new ones that aren't actually in the Scripture, or at least they take the ones that are there and they twist the interpretations and they define their Christianity by man-made rules that, rather than those that are given by God. Now, there's a danger in that, and the danger of it is the danger of legalism. And a comparison to that would be what the scribes and Pharisees did who were the arch nemesis of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus said about them, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And he said in the 15th chapter, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And that happens sometimes in Christianity. There's such tight control, and there's a rule book that stands between the believer and God. And those rules can be very subjective at times, depending upon a person's point of view. And when that happens, people are forced en masse to follow a standard. And then the individual doesn't actually see himself as accountable to God, but he becomes accountable to the church, whatever the church thinks, and accountable to the preacher. And what people try to do is to stay in the good graces of those that are over them. And so people think that they're following Christ when their eyes are actually on men, and they seek the approval of men rather than the approval of Christ. And that's how they define their Christianity. And when that happens to you, Christianity becomes a burden. And I know there's some of you that can attest to that, that Christianity can become a burden. And what God does not want us to do is to be in that position. This is why Jesus said to the people, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Christ says that his burden is light because when we come to him, he gives the desire to do what he asks, to obey his commandments. Now, let me explain to you, though, what some people do when they receive this information. Some will say, well, right on, preacher. Keep preaching that because I don't like rules. I don't like doing what anybody tells me to do. And then you know what happens? Well, their hearts aren't right with God either. 
because they hear the teaching and they think that, well, what, what I'm talking about here is giving people a new license to sin. And so now they start acting like and dressing like and talking like the way that they were before they were saved. And so they're plunged into this seamy side of Christianity. And if you don't know what I mean by that, you could substitute the word sleazy. It's a Christianity that starts to lose its identity as being diametrically opposed to everything that's in the world system. Now, that's a different danger. And this is the danger of antinomianism. Now, I know that's a big word. It's a theological word. But it actually describes a person who has gone to the other extreme. And this is where they throw off the rules of any kind. And in the process of doing that, they throw off the commandments of Christ. And at the same time, they throw off God's demand of holiness. And do you know how they defend themselves? Oh, they say, we're, we're grace Christians. We're not under the law any longer. We're under grace. And to them, it means that the grace of God has exempted them from keeping the commandments. Now, maybe they're not really trying to push the envelope, but they become so callous to how Christians ought to live that they just throw it up here in the air and they say, the grace of God can handle anything. And so I can be a Christian and do anything I want, look any way I want, talk any way I want. God, God's grace can handle it all. I'm still a Christian. And folks, that is a fundamental misunderstanding of God's grace because God's grace is not opposed to law. And we don't magnify God's grace by abandoning, abandoning God's law. And there's nothing that could be clearer than this and that we read in this passage. I mean, if there's anything that John is trying to prove here, it should be evident that, God, that keeping God's law is not only required of the Christian, but it's the very proof that we know anything about God at all. And these Christians that John writes to, they're examples of what John's trying to disprove, that God's commandments are not burdensome. And these verses are intended to show us that the clearest, fastest way to prove our Christianity is that we keep God's commandments. Now, I hope that what I've said doesn't sail over your heads because I know that there are some people, they hear me talking like this and they're looking at the ceiling and they're looking at the floor and they just don't seem to get this. They don't understand this. And what people have done, they've gone from one extreme way over here from the legalism all the way over here to the antinomianism and they're in at least a, as, as worse or even a worse position than they were in before. Now, what I'm trying to tell you to do is what we have we have to come to a place where we're in the middle of those two positions so that we are supremely happy in doing what God tells us to do. Now, I learned something very valuable from a person the other day, and it, and it wasn't as if I didn't know this. It's just that I was reminded of this, that when I talk about what people ought to do in their Christian lives, that it's, it's best to speak to any issue that God wants you to do in a way that's not harsh and demeaning. I know that people need encouragement, and there's a right way to do that, and there's a loving way to do that, and I'll try to be more like that. And, and after that sermon on Sunday night, some of you might think, well, that's the meanest preacher I ever heard in my life, the what, things he was telling us. But there's something else that I realize about what I'm doing, and that is sometimes there is stubbornness in God's people, and the refusal to do what's right, that obstinacy begins to hurt the health of the church. And when it does that, it begins to affect the ministry. And folks, it has to stop. Things have to improve. We need a tune-up on some holiness around here. And uh, I'm not afraid to tell you that, and uh, you shouldn't be afraid to accept it. So what I really think about this, though, is that obstinacy can be a symptom of a much, much deeper problem. 
And that problem is that people's hearts haven't really been changed. When you see God's people that are obstinate about doing what's right and just refuse after you preach to them and preach to them, whether it's the Facebook thing, whether it's all these other things, you preach to them, you preach to them, you preach to them, you beat them, you beat them, you beat them, and it's still just like throwing, throwing something against the wall back there. It just keeps bouncing back at you all the time. Well, that obstinacy could prove something worse than you want to be proved, and that is it could be a stone-cold heart that's causing that. Now, let's recycle this just a little bit and come back to this thought that keeping of commandments uh, or of keeping commandments in relationship to love. It's not a burden to love my brother. It's not a burden to take care of him when he needs me. Last week, I told you that I would explain the title of the message, um, the title that I've chosen, and that's, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. And I'm sure some of you recognize that title. I know Bob gets it from... It's a 1969 Hollies song. And uh, they weren't exactly what you would call a Christian group. But if you read the lyrics to their song, the lyrics are pretty good. The lyrics are really good in this song. It's not like modern pop music where, you know, if you listen to it, you get embarrassed by what you hear. And this, this is not like that at all. Now, I'm not going to read to you the lyrics of the song. If you want to go look that up a little bit later and, and uh, sing that tune to yourself, that's fine. But what I would like to do is to read to you from... Uh, something that S. Lewis Johnson had to say and some great comments that actually parallel those lyrics. He gave this illustration. He said, There was once a lad going to school long before the days when it was possible to get in your car and drive to school, and he was seen often carrying a little boy on his shoulder. And as one observer noticed, the little boy that was being carried on his shoulder was lame. He walked up to the young lad who was carrying the other one, and he said... Do you carry him to school every day? And he said, Yes, sir, I carry him every day. Well, that's a very heavy burden for you to carry, said the stranger. And the little boy, who obviously was a Scot, says, He's no burden. He's my brother. And S. Lewis Johnson went on to say, And what a difference love does make in the commandments of the Lord God. Think about it for a moment. All of those things that Jesus addresses within the Gospels and through his apostles are words from the one who has made it possible for us to know our future is secure in the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. As any child likes to please his father or mother, how much more ought the children of God to seek ways by which they can please their father? Keeping his commandments. We love him. We obey his words. And we try to keep his commandments because they are his commandments not because they're burdensome to us. And we don't find them burdensome when by God's grace we know his will for us and by God's power we do it. That's not burdensome. That's the expression of love and devotion to him. And those are important words, I think. And I think that story about the little boy carrying his crippled brother, it's very apropos when we consider helping one another and loving one another as God really wants us to love each other. And as I was reading that story, it brought to my mind uh, the weeks preceding Grant Evans' death. Now, as you know, Grant was very ill, and he wasn't able to get around. Uh, He couldn't move from his chair to get to the bathroom, and without going into all those details, he really couldn't do some very basic necessities for himself, and that left him in a bad condition. So there were some men of the church that would regularly go to Grant's house, and they would help him 
Sometimes that meant going at all hours of the night. Sometimes it was straight from work. And caring for him was hard. But I remember one of the men said to me, it needs to be done. He said, Grant needs it. And he said, I'll be there and I'll do whatever it takes. And I knew that the feeling of each of those men was the same. They weren't health care professionals. They're just Christians. And they had a brother who had a need, uh, someone who needed to be carried. Was it hard? Well, I believe it was hard, but it wasn't a burden. It wasn't a burden to them. He wasn't too heavy to carry because strength came from the Lord. And that's what comes from a changed heart that obeys Christ's commandments and not being grieved because we have to do it. So a true believer is one that is not burdened by Christ's commandments. And especially he's not grieved when it comes to this of, of, of helping his fellow Christian, helping, helping them when they really do have a need. Now I want to show you one other aspect of following, and that is following is beneficial. And I'm not going to be long here on this, but I just want to get kind of a peek here into verse number 4, and we're going to talk about verse 4 next time. In the fourth verse, he says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, faith is going to be the subject of the next message, but I want you to see here that following Christ is beneficial because it's the only way that we can overcome the world. Now, again, I say these concepts are are very closely connected, and when we say the knowledge of God and the faith that gives that knowledge is the very same faith that enables us to obey the commandments, and especially this chief one, which is love. Now, let me relate then that verse just for a moment to the keeping of commandments because that's what we're, we're interested in this evening. You remember what James said? James said, I can show to you that I have faith. And you remember what he said was the evidence of his faith? In James 1.18, he said, I will show you my faith by my works. And then in the second chapter, verse 24, he said, Ye see then that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Now there you find what some people think is a conflict between Paul and James on grace and law. But it's not actually a conflict at all. It fits perfectly with what we've said just a moment ago on this subject. And that is the works of a Christian are always done as acts of obedience to God's law. See, whenever you're on the subject of God's law, or you're on the sub, or rather on the subject of loving God and, and loving your fellow man, that is always a response of obedience to what God has told us to do. So there's no such thing as, as speaking of the work of God that is outside of the boundaries of God's law. I mean, we can't even fathom such a concept. The preacher says in Ecclesiastes 12, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So how is it then we know that a Christian overcomes the world? Well, we funnel that right back into obedience. The evidence of an overcoming faith is that we have resisted the pull of the world that strains against us to not keep God's commandments. Now, I'm going to have more about that next time, but surely we'd all have to recognize this, that we would never judge a person's faith as being valid, and we would never accept his claim of victory unless we see it in his life, unless we see it in the realm of keeping commandments. And so a person overcomes by faith, and when he does, he receives the benefits of following Jesus. 
Now, if you're following me here, and I hope that you are, some of this really sounds round-robin. I mean, we're going around this thing and keep going around it, but this is the way that John intertwines the arguments. And never do you find a conflict between Paul and James and, and John on, the, on grace and law. You don't find a conflict in love and law, and you're not going to find one on faith and law. They're all complementary. All of that works together. Now, the benefit of following Jesus, then, is a conquering faith, one that causes us to rise above the world and to, and to not be consumed by it. Now, I want to read to you one more passage that I find interesting in this respect. I receive phone calls and, and distress signals frequently from God's people. And sometimes I put a few out, uh, out a few of those distress calls myself. And every one of those people that call me, and uh, that I, w- what we do is we take all of those distress calls together, we put all those signals together, and we put them on a prayer page. And that's because we know that's where help can be found. Now listen to Second Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Now, do you know what Paul is speaking of there? He's talking about fighting the fight of faith, which shows that, Christ is truly in us, and that is evidenced by obeying his commandments. Now, here he gives us then the benefits of obeying those commandments. Now, you can go through, he says here, troubles. You go through troubles without distress. You can be confused about how God is going to supply your needs, and sometimes you come to the point where you say, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but you're not in despair. And he says you're persecuted, but you're confident that God hasn't forgotten you, And there are even times that you can be overcome with sin in your life, and yet you still understand that Satan is not going to have the ultimate victory over you. And then to think that there are some people who would want to give up those benefits because they think that grace has relieved them from obedience to commands. And I want you to understand that that kind of grace is not grace at all. I mean, it's not a grace that you would even want because that kind would never hold you up in the face of problems like you find in 2 Corinthians 4. Now, I'm going to stop there because we can kind of get dizzy going round and round this thing, but these are very simple truths, and people miss the importance of some very simple statements that God makes, and a very simple statement he makes is, Obey me. Just obey me. In all the history of man, this hasn't changed. The world gets turned right side up in only one way. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have to spend together in your word. And Lord, help us really to take this to heart and and to know that loving you, knowing you, keeping your commandments, as we've said tonight, all amounts to the same thing. You can't have any without the others. And this is how we prove that we truly do have faith. We need not expect that there would be anyone who would look at us and say, well, there is a Christian, if they can see in our lives things that are inconsistent with the way that Christians ought to live and act and talk. So, Lord, help us to understand this, that when we talk about also about keeping of commandments, we're 
of course, talking about the Ten Commandments, which cover every single thing that we could possibly do in our lives. It covers every area. And so every command that we find in the Bible somehow falls under the Ten Commandments. And every command to love and to obey, to honor God, falls under those Ten Commandments. So, Lord, help us to understand that everything that you've told us to do, it's our obligation to do, a duty to do, but also that we want to do it. And your, your commandments are not grievous. We desire to do your will. Help us to understand that. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.